0: Father this morning we say as a church hallelujah all we have is Christ hallelujah he is our life we want lord our lives to magnify your glory so that in everything we do we do it in the name of Christ Help us this morning, Lord, hear a very difficult verse in the context of our culture. I pray, Lord, you'd be gracious with all my sisters in Christ that they would not receive this word in any way other than you intend. And let it be based upon the gospel already firmly established, the work of Christ and who we are in Him. We pray, Lord, for revivals in our homes, that we might display the magnificent work of the gospel in our marriages and with our children that pour over into the church and into the community in which we live. We praise you for such specific and clear instruction that you would tell us how to rightly love one another in light of the love that we already have in Christ. And so we ask that you would do that work here this morning, that you would bless our marriages here this morning. Father, this will not be the only word proclaimed here in the South Bay. Our sister churches will and are likely gathering at this very moment. They are singing to you. They are praying to you. And I ask that you would bless their pastors, that they might faithfully proclaim the word of God and the gospel to all of our brothers and sisters here. We ask for a mighty work this morning to take place here in the South Bay that we might see a right spiritual revival, not one of religion, but one of grace. We know that you are capable of doing this work and so much more, and so we ask that of you. Bless us during this time, I pray, with your Holy Spirit. Speak to us boldly with your word. Do the right work that only the Spirit can do. Bring conviction, bring encouragement, bring admonishment. Do what you must do to make us into the image of your Son. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Bibles, if you have them, please open up to the letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter three. I had Jeremy read from 17 through chapter four, verse one, but we are going to have a very narrow focus today. We're going to hone in on verse 18, and we'll do 19 next week. And this will hopefully make sense as the sermon progresses. One of the great dangers, though, that we must have a couple warnings here. One is this. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul establishes Christian imperatives. An imperative is something that the Word of God calls and commands us to do. And he has brought forth characteristics, virtues, that every single believer is to put on. And he, and he ties it into the teaching of an article of clothing. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, and thanksgiving. These are the attributes that the apostle has come along and said, you must put these on as believers in Christ. For the next few weeks, probably four, he now redirects his attention to the imperatives of the home. And he says, husbands and wives, this is how you are to love one another. Parents and children, this is how you are to relate to one another master slaves and we're going to see that in the context of employer and employee. This is how you are to relate and love one another. Commands for holiness in the home in light of our salvation by grace through faith in Christ. But the great danger of speaking to these imperatives is that we become a religious people. And so we must remember that in chapters 1 and chapter 2, Paul has already established the preeminence of Christ, the work upon the cross, and then are being called and saved into him already. He said in, in verse 21 of chapter 1 that by grace, we who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he says, he, Jesus, has now, has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. In other words, the only way you can pursue holiness in Christ is knowing that you've already been made holy. Otherwise, we'll become a radical, and I would say wicked, religious people. We must hear these imperatives to walk in a manner worthy and pleasing of the Lord in light of the gospel and in light of Christ. And so that's something we must keep ever before us as we look at more imperatives on how we are to live our lives. There's another warning that I think is instrumental before we move on, and that is we must not see our lives as God saying, Put on this, put on that, be a holy people as though this is just about our own personal sanctification, that God grants these imperatives so that we can grow in our relationship with God independent of other people. This calling is a calling to relationship, first with God and then with one another. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so all of these imperatives are in the context of intimacy and relationship one to another. John MacArthur said this. He said, Christianity is not just personal. It isn't just a transformed life. It is a transformed life that transforms an environment in which that life lives. In other words, by us putting on all these glorious aspects that Christ has given us through the cross, we are to then transform and impact all those people that are around us. And so Paul says, I want to look at the home. I I want to talk about marriages. I want to talk about parenting. I want to talk about master-slave relationships because Paul understood something. Listen, my beloved. He understood something, our culture, and I would say the church still doesn't quite get today. This battle between good and evil, it's not being fought upon the world stage. Its main players are not the United Nations, Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un, and Vladimir Putin. That is intended to deceive. The real battle we know for good and evil is in the heart of every man. And the primary battlefield that that is taking place is in the home. And so Satan has battled against our homes now for decades. And it's the reason that we find our community and our culture in such shambles. And so Paul then and now says, let's look at the home. Let's look at the relationship of the husband and wife and the parent and the child and the master and the slave. These were the three fundamental relationships in the first century. Husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave, inside the house, underneath the roof, all of which continue to shape the life of cultures and communities in the world in which we live today. The world has unashamedly turned these culture-defining relationships upside down. So much so, I fear, that many of us, even in the evangelical church, are deceived at how bad things have gotten. My beloved, when a culture becomes so of mind that we can no longer identify gender as male or female, we are in horrible shape. You know, if you swim in the pool long enough that's cold, you start to get numb. You lose the feeling. You stay in that pool long enough and you will, you will die. It will kill you. So what I'd like to do over the next four weeks is I'd like to look at these relationships, husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave, in some detail, that maybe by God's grace we can shed the gospel of grace and Jesus Christ on our homes and warm these waters up a bit and bring them in line with what the Bible has to say, which is good and profitable and true. And I know that if we, if we as a church, Cambrian Park Baptist Church, if we, by God's grace, can have homes that are healthy, that are, that are ruled rightly by Christ and His Word, it will impact our community and our community to our nation, our nation to the world by His grace. And so let's do that this morning. I, I want to look at one verse my, my youngest son said to me last night as we were doing our, 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 our devotion time, and he goes, you're going to preach an entire sermon on one verse, on that verse? And I said, I had to actually cut it down. I was long on my notes, so this is an abbreviated version. And I'm still probably going to go long, so please forgive me ahead of time. We're going to look at the one teaching, verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And I want to look at that in four ways. One, the struggle of submission. Two, the calling to submission. Three, the boundaries of submission. And four, the fruit of submission. The struggle, the calling, the boundaries, and the fruit. So if you are not a female and or if you are not married, this sermon is still for you. That was another question that came. Well, how do I listen? I said, well, listen, this ties into everything A wife's submission to her husband in a marriage defines the home and it defines cultures. So, this is for all of us. We're all part of it. So, let's listen with all our might. Point number one the struggle of submission. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I think most of us would agree that submission in general is a problem for fallen man. We don't like to submit to anyone other than ourselves. And this goes all the way back. The first lack of submission found in sacred scripture. Where was it? Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve said, we are not going to submit to God. God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, no, we will. And so it goes back to the very beginning. This anti-authority, will not submit way of living. And it defines our culture today. I don't need to go into great detail because you know this. Rebellion against authority, rebellion against the powers that be is considered a supreme virtue in the Western world. This is why we see so much of it on the news on a regular basis. It goes without saying, I do believe that the idea of submission is considered oppressive and evil, especially when someone is saying that a female must submit to a male in any capacity. And so we have embraced as a culture what is called gender egalitarianism, It is the dominant worldview in the West and it is the belief that men and women are completely equal in every capacity and as being completely equal in every capacity, they should be afforded equal standing and authority in all relationships and in all power regardless of circumstance. The world teaches this because it wrongly believes. Now listen, that because two people can't do the exact same thing It does not mean that they are not equal. If a woman cannot be a pastor or a man cannot be a mother, today the culture screams foul, that's wrong. Everybody has to have the right to do everything. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus said, and then the kingdom of God, the greatest will be a servant to all. Secular egalitarianism has taken this to such an extreme measure that we can no longer make simple binary distinctions. Man, woman, he, she, husband, wife. In June of this year, the state of Oregon became the first state to approve for its residents on its driver's license or its Oregon State ID a third option. It used to be M for male, F for female, and now they have another box and it's X. And no one knows what that X is. But it's an opportunity to define yourself as something other than male or female. This is egalitarianism to the extreme. We can no longer identify our own gender. Those egalitarians who profess Christ argue from the Scriptures They say because God created mankind, male and female, in His image, Genesis 1.27, and because God commanded both the man and the woman to rule over the earth, Genesis 1.28, egalitarians within the church say any distinction of any kind that doesn't allow for every single man and woman to do the same thing is man-made and a product of the fall, not God's teaching. This has become so prevalent. That even in evangelical circles and many Christian authors arguing that if it's not equal, it devalues the human being. In other words, submission is attached to value. Submission is attached to worth. And so they vacated verses like Colossians 3.18 or Ephesians 5.22. They say that Paul was not arguing that this applies to all people in all places at all times. He's saying this was not a universal application. It was during that time when women saw themselves under men. Or some argue even more subtly, it was not the Holy Spirit talking. It was Paul who taught Colossians 3, chapter, uh, ch- ch- chapter 3, verse 18, and not the Holy Spirit. Of course, the question then becomes, well, how do you differentiate what Paul is saying and what the Holy Spirit is saying? Those who argue egalitarianism in the church have forgotten Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where God said to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The desire of the curse is for the woman to rule over the man. And that's why it's such a problem today. It was part of the fall and part of the curse. But the Bible, we believe, teaches not egalitarianism. It teaches complementarianism. I know those are big words. Egalitarianism says equal in value, equal in worth, and equal in position and authority. Complementarianism says this. Now listen. It says that God made men and women in his image, and therefore men and women have equal value and equal worth, infinitely so. And at the same time, God made us to complement one another, male and female, coming together as one, complementing. And therefore there are distinctions in role and authority. One of those distinctions is found here in Colossians 3.18 and Colossians 3.19. Look at the verse again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that word in the Greek, it's a compound word. And it literally means to come under an arrangement or under an appointment. And in the context of marriage, it's this. It is God appointing the wife to voluntarily submit herself to, under the loving Christ-like leadership of her husband. It does not convey in any way that the woman is of less value or worth than the man, nor that the man is of greater value or worth than the woman. That would be contrary to God's very own word. Genesis 1.27, let me read it to you in full. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If you are created in the image of God, male and female, then you are ascribed infinite value, independent of gender. That means that all people, listen closely now, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, unborn and born, have infinite worth, regardless of role, regardless of position, regardless of authority. And therefore, No man can feel proud or superior because he's a man, and no woman can feel inferior because she's a woman. Not possible in the context of Scripture. If God sees us as equal in value, then the question of personal worth is forever settled, and it nullifies any argument that submission means lack of worth or devaluation of anybody. My beloved, you know this. Jesus Christ was not inferior to the Father. He was not less valuable than God the Father. And yet Jesus Christ, his entire life was in complete, total and perfect submission to God the Father. John 6:38. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Total submission and yet equally God. John 5, 19, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In submission, but equally God, equal value. Nor is a woman created in the image of God and therefore infinitely valuable any less of a person because she willingly comes under her husband to serve her husband, to be his helpmate. Are you with me? Okay. On the contrary, when a woman, out of her love for Christ, marries a man, comes under his leadership, and submits to him in a manner that is fitting to the Lord, she glorifies God. She magnifies her role as a woman, contrary to what the culture tells us. Okay, so we know why it's so hard. We see this struggle because when we think of submission, we think of worth, and you have to completely separate those. To submit to someone does not devalue you. So, what is this calling to submit? Point number two look at verse 18 again. I hope that you have this verse memorized by the end of the sermon. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The most basic understanding of submission is submission to come underneath someone else's mission, something someone else is doing. In the context of a marriage, we understand that God the Father is the head of Christ. Christ our Savior is the head of the husband. The husband is the head of the wife and they're all engaged in the same mission and that is the glorification of God. So if the husband, sisters, if your husband's mission is to honor God through the exaltation of Jesus Christ, that is your mission too. That is your mission too. And you're coming under His doing that. And you say, well, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to come under my husband because at times he's not worthy of me submitting to him. And I would say amen. Many times he is not worthy of you submitting to him. But Christ is worthy, and Christ is calling you to submit to him in your submission to your husband. Christ is worthy. Christ submits to the Father, and he calls you to submit to your husband in a manner that is fitting to the Lord. And this means, my beloved, that you are to engage in your God-given, Christ-called role as a helpmate, as a helpmate. That's not an inferior position in value or worth. You are called to be a helpmate. Listen, husbands, don't mix this up. Your wife is not your child, and your wife is not your servant. Your wife is a God-given gift from heaven to help you be the man that you're supposed to be. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, before the fall, before the fall, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That's you. And this is why Paul uses a different word here in this passage. When he talks about the role and responsibility of the child in the home, he uses the word obey. When he talks about the responsibility of the servant in the home, he uses the word obey. He doesn't use that for the wife. For the wife, he says, submission, because submission is a voluntary act out of love to come under someone else. And in the context of a biblical marriage, my dear sisters, it's you voluntarily coming under the submission of your husband, submitting to him that you might rightly love him and make him the best man that he can be. And you are instrumental in that task. You do this for his betterment. You do this For his life in Christ. A wife's spirit of submission, if exercised properly, according to the word of God, will equip her husband, listen, to be the best follower of Christ that he can be. And as we will see next week, if your husband is the best follower of Christ that he can be, he will not only give glory to God, but he will love you in such a wonderful, radical, sacrificial way that he will enable you to be the best follower of Christ that you can be. And hence, we have the compliment. You enabling, pursuing your, loving your husband to pursue Christ and him turning around, enabling and equipping you to do it as well. Glorious in every way. Glorious. So Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. You can put a word in there. It can say, submit to your own husbands. It's not submit to any man and don't submit to another husband, but the husband that God has given to you. And this reveals there's an aspect of this that is, that is personal and intimate because there's a unity here that you have with your husbands, a unity that is brought by the bond of a covenant marriage. In other words, he's yours. Right? The Bible goes so far as to say that his body belongs to you. He's yours. He is, his life has become one with your life. That means his success is your success. His failure is your failure. You're one in Christ. So wisdom I believe, would dictate that you should do everything you can in lovingly submitting to Him to make Him the best man that He can be in Christ because that brings incredible blessings upon you in addition to glorifying God. It's so easy to follow someone when we think they're right. right? This command is not hard. And, and sisters, you can, you can understand this. Your submission to your husband is not difficult when you agree with your husband because you desire the same thing. This command becomes particularly difficult when you don't agree with your husband. Hence the call to submit. But in submitting, you then will say, "All right, I will not I will not fall into the chap the trap of Genesis chapter 3. I will not attempt to usurp the headship of my husband directly or indirectly. I will fight against it. I will listen long. I will be patient and I will strive to submit comprehensively to everything that my husband is leading me to do, and that's the hardest part. It means you can't pick and choose. Sisters, you know that if you pick and choose what you will submit to, then your husband is submitting to you. If you decide what you're going to follow him in and what you're not going to follow him then who's leading? You become the leader, and you fall into the trap of Genesis 3. And God is dishonored in that because that's not how he made us to compliment one another. Instead, you want to anticipate your husband's leadership, to anticipate it, to know what he desires and to work to that end, to work hard to show him the love and the respect and honor as your husband that God has rightly given him, even if at times he's not worthy of it. And there are many times, my dear sisters, that we are not worthy of that. But by grace and humility, you will love us anyway, rather than following him begrudgingly. You know the difference, right? You can submit with a right heart, or you can submit with a wrong heart. And you'll say, I'm submitting to you. I mean, you asked me. You asked me to homeschool my children, and I did not want to. But you asked me, and I'm doing it. And every day it's a battle. And every day you make him feel like a tyrant rather than saying, I will do this in love and humility out of my love for Jesus Christ. You want to make him feel loved. You want to make him feel honored and feel respected as someone who desires to lead you joyfully. And the glorious thing, my beloved, in a healthy marriage where a husband and wife are truly working together as one, there's little need for orders. There's little need for orders. There's little if no need for, for a husband to say to his wife, you need to submit to me. As soon as those words come out of your mouth, men, something's already wrong. Something's already wrong in the marriage, and you've got to di- dial back. In a healthy marriage, this is going to be done with great cooperation and great joy. Why? Because you're working for the same mission. You're working for the same Savior. Your end and aim is the same, the glorification of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I need an amen from some of my sisters here, so I know that I'm not... All right, no one's left yet, so we're okay still. All right, all right, that's good, that's good. So the operative question becomes this, and it it is a good question. Are there no boundaries to this? Pastor, are you telling me that in everything I am to submit? Point number three, the boundaries of submission. Sinners, male or female, we struggle submitting. It is part of our fallen nature We hate someone being over us. Your call, wives, to submit to your husbands is, according to the word of God, in everything. Now, the sermon gets really hard. In everything. Being called to submit to a sinner is a hard calling. And that's what you're called to do. A sinner saved by grace, hopefully. But a sinner nonetheless. And so, it's right to say, are there any checks upon this? When he is sinning, what is my responsibility as a godly wife to submit to him? Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he fleshes this out a bit for us. He writes this in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husband's as to the Lord. And then he says in verse 24, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So here's the operating parameter. As to the Lord, you are to submit to your husbands. And as the church submits to Christ, you are to submit to your husband. Now that's, that's a, a very clear teaching. As believers in Christ, we do not have the right to say, The Bible calls me to share the gospel with the lost, but I will not do it. That is rebellion and lack of submission, making it difficult for you to call Jesus Christ Lord. Or the Bible says that thou shalt not lie, but I lie all the time, and I'm not really concerned about that. We do not have that right in Christ. We are to submit to Christ in all things. So is it really all things? Is it that absolute? If I were to ask Lori, after church, to get in the car with me, and she's going to be my getaway driver, and we're going to drive down to the local bank, and I'm going to break into the ATM, and I'm going to steal money. She's going to drive for me. I'm not telling her to steal the money. She just has to be the getaway car. She's, she's a good driver. Does she have to submit to me? Some of you are shaking your head now. What if, what if my wife struggles taking pain medications after a surgical procedure? And I believe that she should. And I say, you know, you, you should really take that. Is she compelled to submit to my wishes in that case? What is the rule that establishes this understanding? How do we understand it? Verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is key, and it's a key word. It literally means to come up to a particular standard or a rule. It is fitting, my beloved, for wives to submit to their husbands. This is the ordained structure of a godly marriage. It is fitting. It is fitting dear sisters, for you to submit to your husbands in everything, as long as that everything honors Christ as Lord. Where do I get that? Go back up to verse 17. So we're in 18. Go back one verse. Verse 17, Paul said, whatever you do, and he's certainly speaking to wives, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we hit verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. In other words, the everything is guarded by that which is fitting to Christ. The everything is guarded by that which is honoring to Christ. So if your husband ever asks you to do anything that is dishonoring to the Lord, you must say no. I'll I'll make it even more clear. There are two basic operating principles to this. If your husband asks you to do anything that is sinful, that is contrary to the Word of God, not only must you not submit... But you must say to him, I will submit to my Lord Jesus Christ, my eternal husband first, thus saith the word. You must do that in love and humility and grace. But you cannot submit to your husband when he's calling you to sin. It's okay to say amen. We're not reading into that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, who is my mother and who is my brothers? Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, my brother, and my sister. Doing the will of God is your calling, husbands and wives. So we do not submit, sisters, if the husband asks you to do that which is contrary. There's another one, though. If your conscience is not clear in that which you're being asked to do, it's not that clear black and white. You don't know that the Bible says yay or nay. It is a conscience issue. Again, if if my wife struggles taking pain medications because she has a conscious issue with that, I do not have any right to come to her and say, you must take these meds. I do not. I can counsel her. I can pray for her on that. I can encourage her to that end if I think that's right. But her conscience must be clear. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 24, verse 16, I do my best to maintain always, listen, a blameless conscience before both God and before men. So, what are you left with? What are you left with? If it doesn't violate the Word of God, is not sin, and is not in violation of your conscience, sisters, then you are to submit to your husbands. And that's, that's a good place to be. That's the everything that is honoring to God. That is the everything that brings honor in the name of Jesus Christ. It means that you will submit when you do not agree. It means that you won't go to a Genesis 3 rebellious heart, right? So it's not a sin issue and it's not a conscience issue, but you still do not agree. It means you will lovingly submit and you will say, I will follow your lead because the Bible teaches that he is your covering and you should pray for your husbands. If you think that he's wrong, but it's not a sin issue and your conscience is not violated by it and you're gonna come under his his watch care, you need to pray for him because if he's wrong, it's on him. It's on him. And he must, he'll be held accountable for Christ. So don't go, huh? Oh, yeah, you'll get it. You'll see. Don't do that. Don't do that. Pray for him. Say, I, I don't agree with you, but I'll pray. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to come under you because I love Christ and I love you. But be careful. Be careful. But that's so different than rebelling, is it not? That's so different than you putting your foot down and saying, no, I will not participate. Now, in cases, listen carefully, in cases of abuse... In cases of abandonment, in cases of adultery, there's a big shift on this, and I I don't have time to go into those details, but you are not required to submit to your husband. If your husband is abusing you, you are not required to submit to your husband if your husband has abandoned you. He's not there to submit to, right? So be really careful with this understanding. It is by no means, again, that's sinful. Abandonment, abuse, adultery, that's sin. So we don't, we don't submit to that. We don't ever submit to any sin of any kind, okay? So for those of you, sisters, who have struggled with this, don't, don't bring that into the picture. Don't bring that in. God is calling us to live holy lives for the glory of Christ, okay? Are you still with me? So we're, we've seen the struggle. We've seen the calling. We've seen the boundaries, and let's close with the fruit. What is the fruit of this? I mean, why, why would God call you, dear sisters, to something that is so hard? I mean, it's, it's hard enough submitting to Christ and He's Lord, He's God, He's perfect. Why would God call you, sisters in Christ, to submit to an earthly man, a sinful man who will make many mistakes, who you will at times deem not worthy of any submission of any kind? Why would He call you to that glorious work for you? He must think awfully highly of you, does He not, to call you to this? Number four, the fruit of submission. If you would for me, please, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. I I believe that the apostle Peter provides us with some wonderful insight on this matter of the fruit born in biblical submission, husband to a wife in a marriage. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're there with me, look at verse 1. The Apostle Peter writes, also dealing with relationships in the home. Wives, verse 1, 1 Peter 3, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This verse levels me. You want to talk about power. You want to talk about power and submission. The Apostle Peter is saying, listen, sisters, when your husband's being so stubborn and so rebellious that he will not submit to the word of God itself, and we saw last week the power of the word, he's saying you have been given the incredible blessing and responsibility to love him and serve him and minister to him in such a humble way that that will break his heart. I don't know what to do with that, but other than be in awe of that type of power that God uses to shape one another. Peter says, wives, your loving, respectful, patient, humble submission to your husband may change his heart and mind when the very word God does not. That God will use you wives to sanctify your husbands. God will use some of you, sisters, listen, for your unsaved husbands. He will use you to save them. You will not save them. He will save them, but he'll use you to do it. Wow. That's sufficient, I believe. I mean, that's enough. That's enough. But that's not all he gives. We have more. Verse 4 of 1 Peter 3. Look with me. He says, adorn yourself with the unperishable beauty. Listen to the description of the Holy Spirit here of you. Adorn yourself with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. There's something precious about that word. Submitting with a gentle and quiet spirit is considered by God an imperishable beauty. It never goes away and very, very precious in the Father's eyes. Again, these words are too extraordinary that this humble submission on behalf of your love for Christ to a to a sinful man is imperishable in beauty and very precious to God the Father. And so even when the world sees it as antiquated or oppressive or evil, God says, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. He's saying, wise, when you do this, I find it very precious. When you do this, I find it as an imperishable beauty beyond measure. Look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So the the adorning was not external, it was internal. And that internal was through submission. Verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and then and you are her children, children of Sarah, children of the promise, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Why would, why would Peter say that? Why would he say don't be afraid? It is always a fearful thing when you are submitting to someone else. It is a fearful thing for many of you to submit to your husbands. And so God comes along and he says, do not be afraid. He's saying this, listen. He's saying, daughter of mine, daughter of Zion, I'm calling you to this. I will protect you. I will guard you. I will love you. Even if your husband does not, submit. Do not be afraid. Use your gentle and quiet spirit with your husband to magnify my glory. Do it in everything. Don't submit sometimes and not others. If it's not a sin issue, and if your conscience is clear, then submit, 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 that you might magnify the work of Christ. Instead of, more often than not, we assert ourselves, do we not? We demand our rights, and we use our tongue to set them straight. That's not precious to God, and that is of no imperishable beauty. It is precious to God because it requires you to die to yourself. Does it not? It requires you to say no to the curse of Genesis 3. That you will die to yourself and you will trust completely in God and you will not be afraid because Christ is your husband and God is your father and you will be able to submit to any man. It is precious to God because He knows My dear sisters, how powerful a quiet and gentle spirit is to set any man straight. So wives, let me ask you. Your husband comes home after a long day of work. He comes home and the house is in total disarray. The kids are running around like crazy. There's absolutely nothing ready for dinner. He's hungry and he says words to you that he will later regret. He sins with his tongue. Not uncommon. The question is, what will your response be to him? What does the flesh want to do in a situation like that? The flesh wants to open the mouth and let that tongue come right back. You say, oh, I can get you too. He doesn't know that you've spent the majority of the day ministering to a sister in Christ who has just diagnosed with breast cancer. He doesn't know this. You haven't told him yet. So there's reason for the, for the chaos. What is most precious to God? You flying at him with your tongue and saying things that you too will later regret or with a gentle and quiet spirit, maybe not even explaining yourself in that situation, hearing, turning, and making things right. Which is more honor to God? Which will have the greatest impact on sanctifying your husband's soul? The first option is you go at him. And you say, you know, I I got a pretty good tongue. I can do that too. And and you might. You might even win the fight. You might even make him feel horribly guilty. You can yell at him and tell him that you spent the entire day ministering to his sister also who has breast cancer. Oh, there's another way. There's a gentle way and a quiet way that will break him through and through. And that is loving him and submitting to him even in that moment moment he has sinned against you even in that moment it will lead by God's grace to him seeking forgiveness for his insensitivity and it will lead by God's grace to him being the Christ servant leader that he's supposed to be and cleaning up for the kids and ordering the kids and maybe making dinner for you because you had a hard day too he wants to emulate Christ Christ served you. My dear sisters, this is how our Savior and eternal husband expressed his infinite love for us by submitting himself to the will of the Father perfectly. This is where we derive our power of submission. That Jesus Christ, according to the planned, ordained plan of the Father to save sinners like us, submitted himself even to the point of death on the cross. No greater submission has ever taken place. No greater sacrifice has ever been made than the request of the Father for the Son to pay for our sins upon that wretched Roman cross. No greater humiliation, no greater than the crucifixion of Christ. That's why I had the reading from Philippians 2. It speaks of Christ, though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now listen, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is the ultimate, consummate act of submission. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, to the glory of God the Father, the great fruit, of the great submission of Christ to his Father was his exaltation. My dear sisters, the great fruit of your submitting to God the Father through Jesus Christ by submitting to your husbands will be your exaltation in Christ. Your joyful submission to your husband, especially when he's being difficult, is the testimony of the power of the gospel. Is it not... We don't want to submit. We don't want to submit, especially when the husband's wrong. But the power of the gospel shows a transformed life in light of the work of Christ. It says no to the culture when the culture says, fight back. It says no to the culture when the culture says, get above your husband. It says no to the culture when the culture says, if your husband is acting this way or not pleasing you, then leave and find someone who will. Find a husband that will submit to you. We say no to that as a church. We say no to Genesis chapter 3. You cannot, dear sisters, I do not believe, look upon a crucified, risen Christ and see the degree to which he submitted for you and not submit to your husbands. Your submission has the power to sanctify him. Your submission has the power to sanctify you. Your submission has the power to magnify the glory of Christ and the gospel poured out in your life. Biblical submission is all good in every way. Matthew Henry, speaking to the beauty of God's design for a woman in marriage, said this. This is so good. It's Henry. His words are great. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal in value with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. That's good. That's what God designed. That's why he calls you, dear sisters in Christ, to come under your husband. Don't let the serpent deceive you. Don't be deceived with this idea of overcoming and ruling and reigning. Your role is critical for your marriage, for your children. We can go a step further, I believe. This calling is so magnificent. It is such a critical building block in God's created order. A nation is only as strong as its respective communities. Communities are only as strong as their respected families. Families and homes are only as strong as the marriage that makes them up. You fill a culture with husbands and wives that are fighting for power and fighting for their rights and fighting for possession. And the battle is already lost. You fill a culture with marriages where the husband will love his wife as Christ loves the church and give himself up for her, serving her, nurturing her, caring for her. That's next week. And wives who will come under that and be nurtured and cared for and be the helpmate they're called to be to make their husband the best man that they can be. And you will have families that will transform churches, that will transform communities, that will transform nations. That's how big this is. This is no small issue in God's economy. It's no small issue according to the word of God. That's why it's repeated again and again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This glorifies God. You were created wives for your husbands to be the complements to Him, to be the completion of that oneness. The question will be for us as a church will we submit to this very difficult countercultural teaching? I pray the answer is yes, with all your might. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are well aware that a teaching like this from a verse like this would alienate many in the church today, at least in the Western world. We are aware that this teaching goes against our flesh and against our rebellious desire that is compelled through Genesis 3 and the curse It certainly violates every fiber of the culture and everything that we hear about men and women and our relationship one to another. We're asking, Father, that you would overcome all the lies, all the false teachings that have made their way into the church, all the false teachings that dominate the airwaves, that you would overcome that in our hearts and minds. Give us a clear understanding of the magnitude of this teaching. And for my dear sisters, I pray that you would remind them not to be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. You are their father. Christ is their husband. So they can enter into this, maybe with fear and trepidation, but they can know that they are secure and kept in you. And so do that mighty work, Father. Magnify our marriages. Let us be here in Cambrian Park and here in the South Bay a, a community of believers where the marriages are so grace-filled and so gospel-centered that people take notice. They see that we are different. They see that there's a love that transcends all understanding, and they glorify you. We ask all this for your glory, for you are most worthy of it. In Christ's name, amen.